William Colgate, Francis Wayland, and Noah Webster, ordinary men who gave their talents to the church. Not every hero of church history is a pastor. Welcome back to Church History. I'm your host, Laura Lee Siemens. Before we jump into this week's episode, I want to thank all of you who have been listening regularly and sharing this podcast with other people. I'm a public speaker and I love to speak at conferences and church events. However, I have never had an audience as large as I've had through podcasting. This weekend, just over Saturday and Sunday, I had over 3,000 downloads in just those two days. If I had spoken at a conference with 3,000 people, that would have been a huge event. However, I spent Saturday spring cleaning my kitchen and I spent Sunday studying the Bible with fellow believers and just resting. It wasn't until late Sunday afternoon when I was checking my website that I found out I had 3,000 downloads over the weekend. Only God can do something as amazing as that. If you're an author or a public speaker, if God has given you a message, let me encourage you to try podcasting. I love to help fellow Christians with their podcasts. And if you would like some help, message me. I love that we have so many new listeners and more people excited to learn about church history. If you're new, let me tell you just a little bit about this podcast. We're telling the story of the church from the time of Christ until today, and we're telling the story in chronological order. Over the last few weeks, we've been covering stories from the 1800s, and today we're going to look at the lives of just a few Christians who were influential businessmen in the United States in the 1800s. I wanted to add this in because I really want to encourage all of the men and women who are listening today. It doesn't matter what job you have. If you give that job to God, he will use it in a big way. Our first story is about a man named William. Although we are talking about influential men in America, William was actually born in England in 1783. He grew up on a farm and had a fairly simple childhood. His father, Robert, was political, and during the War of Independence, he sided with America instead of his own homeland, England. In 1798, he moved his family to Baltimore, Maryland. They bought some land, and they began to farm. He started a company making soap and candles, and William worked with his father in his business. Two years later, Robert moved his family to New York, and at the age of 16 in 1804, William moved completely by himself to New York City. While traveling to New York, he met the captain of a ship, He told the captain he wanted to move to New York to make lots of money. He told the captain how his father had once owned a soap shop, and that was really all the work experience he had. The captain of the ship said, Someone will soon be the leading soap maker in New York. You could be that person. But you must never lose sight of the fact that the soap you make has been given to you by God. Honor him by sharing what you earn. Begin by tithing on everything you receive. Once he arrived in New York City, he began to attend the First Baptist Church in the city of New York and was baptized in 1808. He 
he dedicated his life to serving God. He became a deacon at the church, and while working hard at his job, he continued to serve in his church as a deacon. While reading the Bible and studying the idea of tithing, William believed he should be giving 10% of his income to the church. He remembered the words of the captain of the ship, and after a few months, he was convicted that he should actually be giving 20%. After a few more months, he started to give 30%, then 40%, and then 50%. In 1820, William started his own company. He made starches, soaps, and candles. He set up a factory in Jersey City. It didn't take long for his business to grow, and in just a few years, he was one of the most influential men in New York City. He continued to give 50% of all the money his business made to God. When people asked why he was given so much money to God, he said, I am honoring God by sharing what I earn. God is the giver of all that I own. God is the giver of every opportunity that I have. And God's the owner of all the products I use to make the soaps. In 1838, he used the funds he had raised from his factory to help build the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Manhattan. And then he became a member of that church. William married a girl named Mary, and they had three sons, Robert, James, and Samuel. William continued to give money. He was one of the main contributors to the Baptist Missionary Union, who set up missionaries around the world. Some of the missionaries he supported entirely by himself. His sons grew up to also be men of God. They took over his company and continued to support missionary work. The soap company eventually started to make toothpaste, and that is a product they became best known for. William had named his company after his family name, William Colgate, a great man of God and founder of Colgate Toothpaste. Do you love learning about church history and love this podcast? This podcast is being turned into a book series, and the first book is now available for sale. You can find the link in the show notes. And now, back to our episode. Francis was born into a pastor's family in New York City in 1796. He was a very smart little boy, and he excelled in school. He eventually graduated from Union College in 1813 as a doctor. Very quickly, he became known as an exceptional doctor. He gained a reputation of being a man of integrity and a skilled physician. Francis also began to work in the anti-slavery movement. He began to inspect prisons and made it a mission that prisoners would receive proper medical treatment. Francis noticed that the slavery debate was splitting the Baptist church. He tried to help the Baptist denomination see that slavery was wrong and the church must take a stand against it. However, the denomination did split over the issue of slavery. Some believed that slavery could be used to bring the gospel to people who had not heard it, that God had ordained the slave to be brought to America so they could hear the gospel. Others believed there was nothing wrong with slavery at all, and others believed that slavery was a sin that had to end and should be banned in America. Francis sided with the argument that slavery needed to be abolished in America. In 1827, Francis took a position as president of Brown University. He would take that job for 28 years, and during his time as the president, he made it his mission to make Brown University the best medical school training anyone could receive. He made the academic discipline very rigorous. He built a library, 
and he created space for science. He even wrote the textbooks, and he created options for people who could not afford education to receive free training. The staff fought back against the changes Francis brought into the school. They didn't appreciate the extra work he gave them, or the level of academia Francis was requiring, and many of the school staff left. The president of University of Michigan, James B. Engel, class of 1849, wrote this about him: "The discipline of the college was wholly in his hands. In administering it, he was stern, but no graduate of his time." Ever failed to gain from him higher ideals of duty, or lasting impulses to a noble and strenuous life. He said so many wise things to us, and uttered them in so pithy a style, that one could never forget them. I presume that my experience is like that of others, when I say that hardly a week of my life has passed, in which I did not recall some of his apt sayings, and to my great advantage. Is there any better proof than that? Of the power of a teacher over his pupils. In 1855, Francis left Brown University to become a pastor. He took the pulpit of the historic First Baptist Church in America in Providence. Francis believed very strongly that a society must be educated. He understood that the poor didn't have access to education, and he wanted to change that. He helped fund local libraries and donated his own books to the libraries. He made sure all the libraries were open to the public, and he also helped pass laws that would make sure public libraries were established across America. Francis Wayland is not a name most people know, yet if you've ever visited a public library, you can thank him. Francis Wayland pushed for great academic expectations for universities. He pushed the Baptist denomination to take a stand against slavery, and he gave us the public library. Are you enjoying this podcast? Do you want to support this podcast? Well, pour yourself a cup of coffee and imagine waking up each morning with a reminder from our church fathers. Check out our Etsy page where you can find mugs with quotes from great men and women of God. You'll find a link in the show notes. And now back to our episode. Education is useless without the Bible. The individual who said it was one of America's most well-known names. People may not know much about him these days, but whenever they need to check up a definition of a term, they are likely to use a dictionary with his image on the front. Noah was born in Connecticut in 1754. His younger years were marked by the Battle of Independence. Noah was impacted by this and became a strong patriot. He helped fight in the war. And once America was established, he began to write pamphlets calling for a national constitution. Noah was a lawyer, a teacher, a newspaper and magazine editor, a statistician, and one of the first people to take detailed records of the weather. He created copyright laws, and he was friends with George Washington. One of the things he was most proud of was his help in creating the American version of the Bible. But he's most famous. For compiling the first American language dictionary, in 1843, G and C Merriam Company bought the rights to the dictionary. So now the dictionary is called the Merriam-Webster. Webster was a staunch supporter of George Washington. In fact, he was such a huge supporter of this first president that he founded New York City's first daily newspaper 
in order to protect his hero. Webster was one of the first people in America to turn the daily newspaper into a political force. However, it was his faith in Christ that pushed everything he did. He wrote, The religion which has introduced civil liberty to the religion of Christ and his apostles, which enjoys humility, piety, benevolence, which acknowledges in every other person a brother or a sister, and a citizen with equal rights. This is genuine Christianity, and to this we owe our free constitutions of government. In the future, I'm going to do an episode specifically on the Second Great Awakening, but this was a time impacted by circuit-riding preachers and tent meetings, and it was during one of those tent meetings that Noah Webster became a Christian. While he had always been religious, it was at this point where he realized he had to confess his sins, repent, and turn his life over to God to give his life to Christ. Once he gave his life to Christ, his priorities changed. He wrote, I closed my books, yielded to the influence which could not be resisted or mistaken, and was led by a spontaneous impulse to repentance, prayer, and entire submission of myself to my Maker and Redeemer. This was followed by a sense of peace. Today we look at the founder of Colgate Toothpaste. We look at the man who gave us public libraries and the writer of a dictionary. These were men God was using. What is it the job God has given you to do, and how can you use that gift to serve God? Remember, I started this podcast off telling how I spent my weekend doing housework and Bible studies, and yet, unknown to me, God was using this podcast to minister to around 3,000 people all around the world. When we give our day, our work, and our life over to God, He will do things we could never even imagine. In our next episode, we're going to be leaving America and seeing what the church is doing in other parts of the world during the 1800s. We're going to be in the 1800s for quite a bit still, because this is a time period when the church was very active. In the meantime, if you want to go back and listen to some of the past episodes, or if you'd like to see some of the other podcasts that I'm part of, or read some of my blogs, or check out some of the videos, you can do all of that on my website, lauraleesiemens.com. And I'll see you next week.